What is it? Uh, well, it's called a uh, randomizer, and it's fitted to the guidance systems and operates under a very complex scientific principle called potluck. Ah, no one knows where we're going. Not even the Black Guardian. Not even us. Hello, and welcome to episode 17 of the Randomizer podcast. I am Tim. I am Chaz. And I'm Gareth. Yes, we're joined by Gareth Preston, another dear old friend, and we have made Doctor Who films together in the past, Gareth, and uh, we've also recently collaborated on your wonderful podcast, Very British Features. Do you want to tell us about that? Uh, Yes, yes. It's something I've absolutely loved doing uh, over the summer. It's been in the back of my mind for a while to do a podcast because... Uh, too much of my mind is taken up with old television and science fiction, so it's a desperate attempt to, to put that to some kind of use. So I came up with this thought of a podcast, basically about everything that wasn't Doctor Who. Is a basically feeling that Doctor Who uh, has been very well covered in podcast terms. So yep. I wanted to do something that was about some of these other shows that uh, some sometimes people will have heard of them sometimes we go really obscure indeed and sometimes it's kinvik which is the episode that we appear on <laughs> it is and i must say i think it's very brave to come on someone else's podcast and basically trash their entire idea hang on isn't <laughs> that what a, we did <laughs> well it was a real pleasure it was having you on thank you again for coming on i told you he was having us on <laughs> yeah i knew it <laughs> No, it was I, wonderful, Gareth. We had a great time. My earliest memory of Doctor Who is Carnival of Monsters, episode one, where the bit that I really remember is the shooting of the uh, orderly ah. that oh, takes place. Right. So, yeah. And that, weirdly, that really frightened me as a kid. It's quite shocking, I suppose. Yeah, I think there's something about it. He just kind of whips out his gun and shoots him. It yeah. um, stayed with me. So I've been watching ever since then and it's um, like so many, many fans it's inspired me to be creative yes. so over the years I've got involved in filmmaking and uh, audio producing I produced a series called Fine Line Productions we went through two doctors uh, we had our own theme music and uh, did two seasons of that and that was really interesting I think you actually you learn quite a bit about Doctor Who by trying to make Doctor Who <laughs> you, you sort of see some of the thought processes uh, that, that that go into it. Oh, welcome along. Um, well, while I remember, because I'll forget at the end, uh, do you have a sort of web address that people should go to to find out more of your stuff? Very British Futures. It's available on pretty much uh, most po- popular podcast platforms. Or you can also find it at anchor.fm stroke Gareth-Preston. Or probably easy, even easier to remember is garethpreston.blog and you'll find all the details about the podcast and other things I'm involved in I also enjoy reading your blog uh, on sort of your occasional reviews of old TV shows and stuff like that sort of that was going on for a while before the podcast of course so it's good stuff and a delight to have you with us um, welcome well, along thank you for yourself. inviting yeah we're <laughs> I'm very glad to be here. We will plunge on in and discuss the biggest Doctor Who news for a while, which is the impending departure of Chris Chidmull and Jodie Whittaker from the show, which was announced a few weeks ago at time of recording, um, probably a few years ago at time of release um, for this episode, given my editing skills and speed. But yes, folks, what do we think of this news? Gareth, do you want to go first? In some ways, it wasn't a surprise. I'm kind of, this seems this pattern of three years is the standard Doctor Who reign. She said uh, they did a three and out sort of agreement or something mm. I, I read. I can believe that. Uh, I mean, I was slightly disappointed that we don't get a chance to see Jodie Whittaker under another showrunner. I, I'm, I'm a fan of Jodie Whittaker. I think uh, she gr- definitely grew between seasons. Uh-huh. And I'd have loved to have seen somebody push her a bit more in another direction. And to see her given some good writing, to be honest, would be, I think that's what we've discussed many a time on the show in the past. It's weird with Chris Chibnall, because on on paper, in some bizarre parallel dimension where I'd have become the showrunner at this point, I actually probably would have done quite a lot of what he 
decided to do. I probably would have done more historical stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have made a big effort to bring in m- more new writers yeah. and uh, new voices to the show. And he's done both of those things. Uh, but unfortunately, somehow, he keeps missing the target. I think he's got a great wish list, but the sort of skill of execution is really lacking, I think. He just seems to fall short on whatever is he's trying to do. I am quite sad about Jodie. I'd have loved to have seen him under another showrunner. Yeah. Chip, no, I'm, I can't say I'm not happy he's leaving, but, you know, I'm not going to kick someone when they're down. Or maybe later, but uh, <laughs> we still have what we've got a season. Yeah, to come. we've got we've got nine story. Well, a season and three specials. So mm-hmm. we'll see where we go. And I'm I'm hoping that you know he can sort of pull something out of the bag, and you know at least she goes out on a high. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, I don't. I I really don't want to be too negative until we see the season, and then I'll be. Fully negative. I, mean, I, I listened back to our first episodes, first two yeah. episodes recently, because I'm a massive narcissist. And um, but we were genuinely thrilled and really mm. enjoying Spyfall. And you yeah. know, I think that capturing some of that energy and that creativity to end on would be a fantastic that, end for the Chibnall and Twitter era. I think. <laughs> Twitter. Uh, yeah, no, that would be great. I, I, I've always said I'm not wanting to hate on it because, you know, the only reason I'm critical about it on certain ones is because, you know, it's it's really sad, you know, because you know how damn good it can be. Yeah. And when it's good, you know, like uh, Villa Diodorati was fantastic. You know, you, you're really sort of, you're joyful, you know, but it's so few and far between at the moment, and I think that's what's really sad. Well, high hopes for the new season. Do we know when it starts yet, or is that still unclear? I think it's up there, but my bet is October. That sounds about right to me. I don't recall ever being aware of a Doctor's departure quite so far in advance. I probably was, no. but um, perhaps it's because we're doing the podcast now and I'm thinking about it more. But David Tennant, we kind of knew yes. quite a quite a bit. I remember there were all those specials that seemed to take a long time and then the the last episode of course the last 15 minutes the last episode were about six weeks long. Oh dear I I was so annoyed with that in fact if I had one note if I could be in an elevator with Chris Chibnall at the moment it's probably too could be too late already but (laughs) can we just have a doctor who just says oh you know the moment has been prepared for and falls over Bam splat, uh, <laughs> rather than getting that's a, it. a victory tour. <laughs> I think we talked about that, didn't we? With yeah, we did with John. I think you're both wrong. Personally, <laughs> I th- you want to milk it? I really want to milk it. I want him to go through every companion from Ian and Barbara <laughs> right through. You know, and I want a 15 minute scene with each. But a whole episode just for Dodo, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, it's like we never yeah. did say goodbye properly. Yeah, yeah. I want CGI every single companion. Oh my goodness! I, I think what I wanted was a bit more jeopardy for the process mm. of regeneration, rather than this feeling that it can be kind of kept on the boil in the background while you nip around and say bye to your mates. That's what I think. Well, uh, I mm. don't know if I ever told you my theory about that, and you're going to be absolutely disgusted. But you know, this is the randomizer. It's not. It's not a, a safe, respectable uh, safe space. <laughs> one. My idea was, you know, when you need to go to the toilet. Oh God, this is have, a Jeff from coupling moment. Isn't it? <laughs> you need to go to the toilet, and you're at, not at your house. And you're nowhere near. So you're holding and holding and holding until you finally get there. And when you do, you slightly explode. Oh, I think that was what was happening with Tennant. That's why the TARDIS got destroyed. I, I take it from your stunned silences. Um, I went too far. <laughs> Nothing you could say could shock me anymore. No, okay. So cathartic release. Maybe that's what the catharsis <laughs> of spurious morality is. Yeah, exactly, there you go. Well, that would explain the exploding TARDIS that time. It does, but <laughs> yeah. why didn't he learn from this? Well, yeah. Luckily, Matt Smith didn't, because he'd on the outside, he just destroyed the Dalek fleet. <laughs> I mean, the in the background going, yeah. If that was the case, right, during the Time War, why didn't they just get Time War suicide bombers? <laughs> Jesus. They could have just, you know... Boom. Yes, no, there, no, there's a big finished script for you to write. Yeah. 
Gareth, when you do finally locate the right elevator and hang around in it and do <laughs> get Chris Chibnall, um, these are the these are the ideas that obviously you should present to him. I should definitely share share that one. You're going to have some editing, aren't you? And <laughs> hello and welcome to the Randomizer Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so any final thoughts on um, the the departure of Jim Lowe and Jodie Whittaker? If I have any advice for its successor, it's one doctor, one companion. Mm-hmm. That works. Uh, that, yeah. Unfortunately, one of the legacies of the Jodie Whittaker era is all three of them standing in a line, basically. So there are so many shots in season one where the three of them sort of stand in a line. They should have done that flatline episode again with the two-dimensional <laughs> world. It would have been perfect. <laughs> all right, lovely. A man is the sum of his memories, you know, a time lord even more so. This is the part of the show we call Your Cheating Memory, where we randomly select an episode of Doctor Who using the wonderful randomizer.net website, um, and then we go and rewatch it and then discuss it after trying to dredge our memories for what we know about it already. Now, last time, well, I was mixed because I'd just watched it, but I think we, we were happy to pick a classic Doctor episode uh, story called The Invasion of Time, um, which is the six-part uh, Tom Baker uh, epic set on Gallifrey that sees the departure of Leela and the Vardens, uh, who are perhaps the most boring and bureaucratic aliens ever to invade Gallifrey, um, <laughs> swiftly trumped by the Sontarans. So um, I just wanted, for my part, I wanted to just home in on a couple of specific moments because we did talk about it a fair bit recently, but I'd like to invite Gareth uh, to sort of chip in on your memories of that. And Do you, do you see it first time around or anything like that? I do. I definitely did see it the first time around. My main memory, actually, I had two main memories of watching it the first time around. One, I think, was that opening episode where the Doctor's being really mm. erratic and strange, and, and that was really, yeah, really gripping in that time. And it is a good, great performance. Uh, someone was reviewing Megloss and said that when Tom's being the evil Doctor, he's basically playing Tom on a bad day. <laughs> and, uh, and and it's the same thing kind of goes with Invasion of Time. This is Tom Baker when he's sort of like in one of his bad moods. He doesn't want to listen to the director. He knows best of it. He's just being rude and angry to everybody. That's a sobering uh, uh, deconstruction of that performance, really. It's just like, what's this? Bring me what I want and get rid of that companion. Dar. I mean, we've all seen the outtakes from uh, The Leisure Hive, you know, where he's carping on about the, the helmet and, you know, he's just being a I actually haven't. pain. To everyone. Okay, we have not all seen the outtakes from the Leisure Hive. <laughs> Everybody in the I have, I have seen yeah, it. That is him on a bad day, as it were. It doesn't mean he's not great, because, you know, Tom's always sort of great, even when he's being sort of an arse, really. It's a hugely enjoyable performance, I think. that uh, it, it kind of almost makes you wish he'd kind of, after Doctor Who, he'd gone to Hollywood and done, mm. done a few Euro baddies in forgettable action movies, because I think... It, he would have been uh, great in those. So that stuck with me. And I think the other thing that really stuck with me was the appearance of the Santarans, which yeah. was like a com- complete surprise. Were you familiar with, with them before? I had seen them before. I particularly remember Lynx taking mm. his helmet off in the Time Warrior. That's that's another one of my sort of key who memories. So, yeah, that was amazing to see them back. And it still works. I think one of the things I really like about Invasion of Time is that most of the cliffhangers are really good on this one. Uh, I think possibly my favourite is the end of episode two, where it's the, well, welcome to your new masters. Oh, yes. And just a magical laugh. I wonder how much of my kind of memory of this was based on having read the book before I ever saw it. I definitely saw it on broadcast. Um, I mean, I've seen it since, obviously. But I remember, um, I know that most people don't like them, but I tend to like the things that people don't like. And that was the the TARDIS (laughs) bits, you know, running around the leisure centre. Yeah, I quite quite enjoyed them. I really liked the scene of Barusa just sitting, sipping a cocktail. Uh, and they, they were they were introducing crazy straws as if they were a, a sort of you know futuristic thing. But this is great. Um, I really like mm. Rodan. Andred is it Andred? Andred. Yeah, the guard. Yeah. Yeah, you could have called the story yeah. the Andred invasion. Yeah, very good. <laughs> he's okay, but again, you know that leads into that whole thing with the departure of Louise Jameson that just makes it's a very weak. 
uh, resolution to, to such a strong character. You, know? mm. you can see the actors working with very thin gruel, trying to oh, just yeah. get them to yeah. interact at all, building up. To it, was, it was interesting what you said about the Bardens being the most uh, bureaucratic race ever to have invaded Gallifrey, and that's yeah, considering the Time Lords and how bureaucratic they are. You know, it's sort of the, there's a real good symmetry. I mean, who would notice if the Bardens took over? Really, the original end of episode two, the line was, "You thought you were boring." <laughs> Thinking about that, uh, the, the infamous TARDIS scenes, it, it, it sort of struck me that at the time, watching it for the first time back in the seventies, it sort of made sense because as a kid, I was playing Doctor Who which involved going round your local area, pretending it was an alien planet or similar, and here's Doctor Who basically doing the same thing. Where did you grow up? Was it a convincing alien planet? <laughs> it was not. It was a lot of concrete. I enjoyed it. It was classic Who. It was from a, an era when I was sort of young enough to be really convinced by it. And um, the older me is still stupid, so I was still convinced <laughs> I thought that that was the TARDIS. But when I give the word, press the button. The big one? Yes, maybe it works in conjunction with the others. Okay, well, I'm going to fire up the randomizer and let's select a new story. It's an oh, exciting God. moment. All right, well, let's try and find out. Now, what could it be? Ah, the time of the Doctor. Mm. I just watched, watched it. it. I literally watched it a week ago, and it's another bloody Matt Smith. <laughs> what? What? What's the bloody randomizer obsession with Matt Smith? Don't get me wrong. I love it, and it, as I said to you in a podcast previously, it's one of those stories that every single time I watch it. I learned something new about it on, and I love it even more. So I do love the story, but... There you go, you're you going to love a, it even a more, week, even more. A week between viewings is a bit much. That's <laughs> yeah, exactly how I felt when we got Invasion of Time. Yeah, of course. All of it to choose from. Well, if I, I was listening to you uh, earlier this week in that mm. episode of that podcast. There we go. It's really good. And, uh, and, and when you said that, Chaz, I remember thinking, yeah, yeah, Time of the Doctor is a story that gets better mm. on repeated viewings. I really like the cleverness that mm. so much of um, the, in, under Stephen Moffat has been about the Doctor dropping in and out of other people's lives mm. yeah. over the years and watching them get older. Yeah. And now it's the tables are turned and it's Clara who mm. drops in and out on the Doctor's life. A very, very neat point. I think my uh, my only main quibble with it, and this is probably the pedantic fan, but, but it's kind of annoying that the whole thing about the mystery of the TARDIS exploding, which was such a big thing back in the first season, gets kind of brushed off in a couple of lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, for such a big event, you would have thought it would have maybe spent a bit longer on it. I agree on that, you know. Yeah, it's probably my biggest beef with Stephen Moffat, who I like in, mm, you okay. know, hugely admire yeah. in, in many ways, is that he does his thing about building something up and then dropping the ball. The hybrid was another one of those. After a whole season of the mystery of the hybrid, it becomes... What is the hybrid? It's up to you, really. It's a point of view. It could be. It could be this, or it could be that. Who cares? It's a very frustrating, uh, you know, way of of explaining things. Sometimes it's hit and miss. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't with them. But, uh, but I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, he is a he is a very good writer and mm. very good at, you know, his plot devices and his. You know, his ideas are very sort of grand. They don't always get pulled off to great effect, but I think they're always explained and you, you might be left a little bit, I, I wouldn't say disappointed, but, you know, underwhelmed. But he definitely always manages to sort of pull it off. But I think this is one of the triumphs, personally, and with the exception of a few little bits. Yeah. A couple of thoughts. One is the, the, the reason it's a grower, I think, at least in part, is because it's following Moffat's finest hour. You know, the Day of the Doctor is, as we've said many times, it's you know the, really the pinnacle and a, a worthy anniversary episode. And then how the hell do you follow that? So it was always going to be a, a, a tough one to do. 
So I think a slower burn and a, a kind of you know one that rewards a lot of rewatching is an achievement in itself. Um, the other thing I thought was um, I just watched Listen uh, for the first time since broadcast actually, and that's another Moffat episode that. I think at the end, the first time, I was kind of left feeling like it sort of copped out a bit of its own promise. Um, but then watching it again, you see a lot more nuance and a lot more of the kind of cleverness of how it folds back into itself. And yeah, just I was I was much more enjoyable after the first watch, another grower then, I guess. What were your initial uh, thoughts on it when you first saw Time of the Doctor? Because mine personally were, I was underwhelmed. It's a hard act to follow with the anniversary, really. I think that was it after mm. such a high and in the cinema and everything. You were sort of back to sort of business as usual mm. with all the kind of Christmassy stuff. I liked it fine. Um, I was sort of also aware of it being the end of Matt Smith's era, so that was a sort of downer <laughs> to, to begin Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, on my initial view, in fact, still I'm incredibly moved by the regenerations, I think, and I, more than I expected to be. And when, when um, Amy appears, yeah. I think it's such a lovely scene, that. And Murray Gold's music, I think, probably plays a big part in that as well. You can look forward to crying more buckets as we rewatch it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a sonic screwdriver because I'm not off on a romp. I call it what it is. A great loss of pomp and circumstance. Let's do a little bit of romp or pomp. So this is where we just fire up the randomizer again and click through a few stories. And we just, this is a hot take. We don't want to go into in depth on them. We just want to say, are they a fun packed romp or are they a kind of more serious pomp and circumstance story? So here we go. First one. Let's kill Hitler. <laughs> R-O-M-P. So I mean, that's probably my go-to romp, romp of Tendall romps really, isn't it? I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's definitely the most clickbait Doctor Who yes. title ever. <laughs> it definitely is. Okay, next one. Definitely romp. Human nature and the family of blood. That's more serious, Ooh. isn't it? Darker. Ooh. Yeah. Next one. The evil of the Daleks. Ooh. Yeah, very pompy. pomp. Yeah, I mean, I've. I'm actually going to say wrong. Yeah. What? Ooh. Justifying. <laughs> I think there's an awful lot of, of running about. It's like it's one of those stories, if we ever do find it, I'll be interested to see how fandom reacts because it starts really exciting. I love all the 60s stuff. Mm-hmm. And you get all the Scarrow stuff. But I think a lot of that Victorian house uh, stuff, there's a lot of running about. We need to keep the wheels spinning on this a bit over seven episodes. I think it's very interesting, you know, when we look at Troutons and we, we mythicise uh, certain stories and then we get to see them. I mean, it's like uh, Enemy of the World. Everybody was sort of convinced and it's a bit dull. But I think it's better than Web of Fear, personally. Yeah, controversial. Let's do a couple more. <laughs> there you go. It takes you away. Junk. It's very pomp, this one. It's a bit yes. too pomp, really, isn't it? I mean, not even a talking frog can make it a romp. <laughs> Let's do one more. The Web of Fear. <laughs> well, not as good as uh, Enemy of the World. We've heard yeah. it here. I saw Gareth's reaction when I said that, and it was, it was it's like you're as dead good to me, as my Jazz. reaction to the Quoyanet quote from John. <laughs> oh, well, more of that to come. Yeah, it's pomp and does it's good. Nice and creepy, obviously, all of that underground stuff. That was Romper Pump. I gladly accept your challenge. Now, we had a bit of correspondence, which uh, I will read to us now. So this is from a, a chap called Douglas, who I worked with uh, a bit, and we discovered we were both Doctor Who fans, um, and he's since started listening to the podcast, so hello, Douglas. Hello, gents, he says. Just wanted to write a quick email to say that in my watch-through of all of Classic Who, I've seen a lot of 4, 6, and 7, but never watched all of it in order, I've reached the infamous Mutants. I have to say there was a little bit of dread going into the story, being most familiar with it through the running joke on your pod. I don't know what joke he's talking about. I think it means the challenge. Anyway, um, I just finished it. I think the main pain is something a lot of classic who suffers from. It's just too padded. Granted, these episodes weren't designed to be shotgun three at a time on a Saturday morning over coffee, but still. There's some nice B-movie social commentary and a good hissing baddie, but the story really never gets past being silly and schlocky, which is fine. Doctor Who is nothing if not camp, but, well, good luck, Chaz, when your time finally comes. So that brings us neatly on to the challenge. Now, I have asked Chaz, challenged Chaz, to watch The Mutants. He's never been able to sit through it, and it's never quite come together. Um, So, Chaz, have you managed to, to see it at last? Well, first of all, let me say that was a great way of uh, shoehorning uh, this in. 
But uh, yeah, well, as you know, uh, I have some problems with my memory and that has left me a little bit hazy sometimes. So I decided uh, as part of my physio to go and see a hypnotherapist, Donald. We decided that we could maybe regress back, hopefully reclaim some memories and things. And um, over the course of the last few weeks, we've been doing that. And um, turns out I have already watched the mutants. What? Brilliant. Yeah. Mm. I Well, as you know, I was, you know, born... 70 so um i actually watched it i was quite young but i did watch it at the time i only remember little flashes but something seemed to have happened back then when i was a child that um sad to say it sort of it it blocked out the memory of the mutants it was seemed to have been some sort of trauma Uh, what what kind of trauma well this is quite difficult for me (laughs) Um, apparently it was just give me a moment apparently it was watching the mutants so that's why you've never been able to rewatch it yeah okay. that was well, my trauma I clearly can't make light of something deep and personal like that in your past So no um, no definitely no. next week then yeah fuck it all these corridors look the same to me it's time for Which Corridor Is This? Which is uh, basically inspired by Toby Haydock and Rob Sherman's book uh, Running Through Corridors, where they discuss uh, Doctor Who episode by episode in order and try and be very positive about it all. Wonderful books. There's one for the 70s, one for the 60s, but not yet one for the 80s. So get writing, gents, because I love the series. Um, so I have reached The Stones of Blood, which is uh, another wonderfully atmospheric, kind of creepy sort of horror genre Doctor Who, which mm. it does so well in that kind of era starts with a group of masked figures in a stone circle chanting something that I can't remember what I thought they were saying but it didn't sound like Kaliak the first time I heard it and we have a yeah, quite a unique idea which is living stones um, mm. although uh, the realisation of the, the ogre trundling along is, is, is a bit hit and miss but they're, they're pretty intimidating nonetheless and smashing through doors and stuff is great fun so what do you guys remember about this one? Gareth we'll go to you Really I don't really have strong memories of watching it the first time around uh, on, on later viewings yeah, it's a good, fun story. I'm actually, I think I'm a little bit unusual in that I quite like all the business on the spaceship with the <laughs> mm. uh, the two justice machines. I, I quite like that kind of Douglas Adamsy yeah. sort of elements sort of, of absurd it. logic stuff. Mm. Weird. I, I went to the uh, location many years ago, the Stone Circle. But weirdly, I went there with some friends, and we got there, and none of us, I think, had watched the Stones of Blood recently. <laughs> so you weren't sure what to do. So we got to this circle, and we were all a bit, you know, it's not stirring any memories here. You know, it's like it doesn't, it could, we could be anywhere. So I went to to see the guy on the gate, you know, we, we mm-hmm. paid our entrance to say, you know, just pretend, oh, did they, did they make a Doctor Who story around here? I have a feeling he'd been asked this question before. <laughs> uh, and he sort of gave me this sort of surly look and said, yeah, they made the very first Doctor Who story here. So, the very first? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to correct him and break my, you know, cutting persona that I built up. <laughs> Reveal so, yourself. Maybe it was a trap. It was, it was like a geek trap. He's like deliberately <laughs> sort of drawing Actually, I... I think you'll find... <laughs> that was ostensibly the hundredth uh, episode or, oh, yeah. or story, wasn't it? Mm. That's right, so it was. Yeah, because they the, the outtake with birthday cake and things, mm. don't they? Mm, that's it, and uh, Romana and K9 give him a, a present and he unwraps it and it's another scarf. She should have given the box with K9. <laughs> I am of a other feeling that uh, Vivian Faye is, well, well, was gay. I mean, there's a definite bit where she looks Romana over. Mm-hmm. I think, in the, when yeah. they first meet. Not to mention talking about sausage sandwiches. And Romana said, I've never ridden a bicycle before. And she said, oh, try it. I think you'll find it's a very interesting experience. So there's a whole subtext uh, to be found. Yeah. The other wonderful guest is, uh, of course, Professor Rumford. <laughs> I was trying to remember her name there. You know, oh, I should uh, have given you a chance to misname a celebrity there. But. Oh, yeah, actually, I haven't done it yet. So, you know, this <laughs> might be the podcast. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, no, I um, I really like this one. Um, I think the first episode is is quite uh, is quite good, and it's interesting the way the three women get together at the start. I think the three of them work together well. Um, yep. I don't have great memories of it, which is a bit of a shame because it was one I did enjoy a lot, and I agree with you, Gareth, about the justice machines. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is Douglas Adams. The spaceship parts are good. Vivian Fay is a great villain. It's interesting it's taken that long, really, for stone circles to enter Doctor Who. I don't know what you're talking about. They did a, the very first Doctor Who was made at a stone circle. Yeah, because, you know, stone circles are a, are a big thing generally within... Uh, fantasy and sci-fi I mean you've got things like Children of the Stones Great Mass Conclusion mm-hmm. loads of myth and whatever around stone circles They're steeped in folklore of course we go back to it we go to Stonehenge for uh, in the new series of course so you know Doctor Who sort of comes a little bit late to the party in some ways they obviously got the idea for using stone circles from my book. I don't know if you know Gareth by my published <laughs> And um, part of, of really? my, my well, you I, don't I, talk I, about I, it anymore. I don't. I don't like to mention it very often, but uh, uh, my my book is is all about the Stone of Scone, which was actually taken from Denad Fort, and where there's loads of stone circles. So, you know, technically, I, I suppose I influence this. I mean, I don't. Don't like Beaumont and Trumpet too much, but uh, yeah. It's originally stone circles in science fiction. Um, hmm. Halloween Three uh, uses, in fact, they they That's steal right. one of the stones from Stonehenge. You wrote Halloween Three, or the initial treatment for it? That wasn't you, Nigel <laughs> Neal. Right. Nigel Neal, yeah. our friend, Nigel Neal, yeah. former friend, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, listen to Very British Futures Kindvig episode to find out more. What a, what a sitcom writer he is. So talking about Moffat hand-waving, the, the, what, and the, this I think is a good example uh, hmm. uh, from Halloween 3, so, uh, is that uh, when they get to the villain's base and he's showing off, here's my hmm. Stonehenge monolith, and, and, and the guy goes, how on earth did you steal it? <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, and the villain goes, oh, that's a great story. I'll tell you sometime. Uh, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> it's like that old joke about putting up the flagpole. You know, you're in charge yeah. of a corporal and three privates, and you've got to get a flagpole up. And you're told you've got a twenty meter rope and a forty meter rope and all this stuff. And the answer, after much puzzling, is you say, "Corporal, get that flagpole up." So you probably just said, "Henchman, bring me that stone." <laughs> I think they took it's, one of the supporting stones, left it like yeah. one of them fallen over. <laughs> it's, it's great! It's great to be the boss. You can just, <laughs> just uh, you know, the stones of blood. I, I, I like the sort of jolt of going from this dark, mysterious stone circle and gothic mansions to um, suddenly be on a kind of brightly lit hyperspace spaceship, which is, you know, a really lovely idea. And the other thing I love about this story is it has a proper gadget, you know, a kind of <laughs> lashed together from bits and bobs yeah. MacGuffin gadget that uh, zaps them into hyperspace. And I think it's it's a classic of that genre as well for that. Absolutely. The other interesting mm-hmm. thing is, I don't think we really went this uh, creepy until the very similar story, K9 Company, which basically mm. starts off things out with the same. Yeah, that really scared me as a kid, that, the hecty hecty stuff. Um, it really scared me as an adult, but for completely different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the sixth time you watched it? Yeah, yeah. Basically. <laughs> no, I haven't re-watched Canine Company maybe once, but not for a long, long time, and I will get to it and watch it in order in my rewatch. so at some point we'll talk about it, Chaz. <laughs> that is not... Just tell me that is not on the bloody randomizer because I don't know. I'm I'm dumping this podcast. Would you do Dalek Master Plan first? (laughs) I think I might. Another little thing I quite like about uh, Stones of Blood is it does that nice thing, a little bit of red herring with uh, Mr. Devere's. Because he seems like he's going to be the main villain. Yeah. And he even gets that nice classic villain scene of showing the doctor around his house and yeah. dropping a few hints. Do you, uh, do you get the impression that he was he was a bit Makata? You know, he was uh, Charles... He was played a bit like Charles Grey? Or am I completely off here? 
I think there is a bit of that. I think yeah. he could have deliberately said it. So you think he's going to be the villain, yeah. and and then he's abruptly dispatched. Stones of Blood was great fun. Um, mm. I'm now on to the Androids of Tara, and uh, we'll talk about that once I've got through that one. So yeah. you'll get your wood beast at some point, Chess. Oh, yeah. Excellent. You were looking Can't for wait a for one. the Tara wood beast. I know. Well, there's a, there's a T-shirt in the making, that one. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Could it have been affected by tangential deviation coming out of the warp ellipse? What are you talking about, Greasedain? It is tangent time. Now, we have been watching Red Dwarf um, season by season. Uh, Chaz and I and Gareth, I believe, has joined in for the, the kind of slightly standalone stick out like a sore thumb season of Red mm. Dwarf, which is ostensibly season nine. Um, but it was made some time after the previous one. It's called Back to Earth, and as the title suggests, they end up back on Earth. And it does really stand alone, um, perhaps fortunately, because it was it's an oddity. So, uh, Gareth, why don't you kick us off and just tell us what you thought maybe at the time? Or- oddity is a nice, polite word. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a very disappointing uh, yeah. return. I mean, the only good thing about it is that... It, it kind of reignited Red Dwarf yeah. uh, on Dave, so there were yeah. better things to come. But it's a curiously joke-free Red Dwarf as well, especially yeah. after episode one. It sort of just settles um, down into doing a Blade Runner pastiche and never gets beyond it. That's it. It's this curious thing you get sometimes in in those American comedies like Date Movie and Scary Movie, where it's like, we're just going to recreate a bit of another film, mm. and mm. that's funny. And it, it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely not. And there's this weird thing he says, oh, you come back to the beginning, to the origins of Red Dwarf. And you think, really? Blade Runner was the origin of Red Dwarf? I uh, hadn't uh, really noticed yeah. that before. Not not Steptoe and Son or Dark Star. <laughs> <laughs> they could have got um, Wilfred Bramble instead. <laughs> <laughs> That's the odd good joke. <laughs> In 90 minutes, someone's going to say something funny. I quite like Rimmer shoving uh, the his rival hologram under the, under the truck it's funny that, but it's brutal and it also it's very you know it, there's no kind of character payoff there's no kind of i mean i'm taking it too seriously mm. but you know lister should be outraged and isn't and all of that sort of stuff it's it's just it is a throwaway joke literally it is quite interesting because tim and i watched it together and for that, safety I think, yeah and I think that was the only bit I laughed out mm. loud at. I actually thought, no, that was great. And I could see the sort of the wince. <laughs> Disapproval. Yeah, the w- he was yeah looking at me disapprovingly for. It's for, funny, uh, but it's it's just. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I suppose it's slapstick, really. Yeah. It just mm. slapstick, and it is genuinely a funny moment, although not a very nice moment, say. But um, like Gareth said, it's, it's practically joke-free, the whole thing. I mean, this is the complaint I had about uh, The Promised Land. I mean, that was better, admittedly, mm-hmm. but it was, again, they seem to go down this route of, oh, let's concentrate on drama or yeah, whatever, too much plot, damn it. comedy. And then Red Dwarf really works because it's funny. That is mm. its main thing in this didn't work as far as I'm concerned it's the only time genuinely that I have been disappointed by Red Dwarf and it's interesting that you say about it standing out because even the DVD stands out from from all the rest you know it exists in a different kind of legal framework as well because it's always separate from the BBC seasons too you mention it as the forerunner to the Dave stuff so is this the TV movie of Red Dwarf (laughs) in a weird way it is actually that's a good impression oh the other thing it's weirdly self-serving as well you get that whole bit about when they first arrive on Earth and apparently Red Dwarf is bigger than Star Trek apparently yeah Oh, there's so much merchandise and everybody loves Red Dwarf, that great show. So it wasn't quite our dimension, it was another parallel one. Mm. It turned out to be a dream anyway, didn't it? So, you know, I suppose they were fantasising that they were wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, which does forgive a lot of it in the sense. When I was at uni, I wrote an audio sitcom called Westenders and it was terribly hilarious, we all thought as students. And at one point we did an episode 
episode where one of the characters tuned in their radio and started listening to the start of the same episode. And that was, of course, frightfully witty and weren't me clever. But it was that kind of level of, of, of sort of quite obvious parallel humor. It's like, hey, what if they were looking at their own DVD covers? And, I, you know, I like that to some degree. It's quite it's done with some panache in terms of Lister typing at the typewriter. It's like back to the mind rover, really. And mm. also reading the back of the DVD cover to discover the plot. is, is, is That was quite funny. But it's all it's kind of more sort of one level up funny kind of a funny concept rather than funny mm. in the moment mm. but That's I, it, yeah. I, I think I and like a lot of the stuff that I've, I've Doctor as well that I've seen the first time and gone uh, watching it again when there's nothing at stake you know you can sort mm. of sit back and enjoy it a bit more for what it is because you know the, the deal is done and we know it didn't kill the show so phew <laughs> <laughs> there is an element of it yeah I, I can watch it now and think oh well there's another. There's better Dave episodes to come after this. Exactly. Yeah. And maybe it's not the TV movie. It's maybe it's the Orphan Fifty Five. <laughs> in, in fairness, I had, uh, another bit that did make me laugh early on when the cat is uh, describing this traumatic attack by the mm. squid, and, uh, and I like and I, I do like this thing about cat. Sometimes has these mad logic. Uh, he left me without leaving a note. The, uh, the sort of slapstick battle with the squid with um, Rimmer kind of doing whatever you would call that finger dancing yeah, in the foreground. Mm-hmm. So it's all good fun. I think it looked pretty good, you know, in terms of production oh, yeah. quality. So it looked yeah. pretty good. Oh, yeah, yeah production, that, that, especially that opening shot to mm, zoom yeah. in on and yeah, seeing it. Yeah, that was nice. And oh, yeah. the scale of the, the sort of big hangar bay shot where they. Yeah. I mean, they, they obviously threw a lot of money at it. Until they got to the car. Well, I was getting to that. But, uh, <laughs> but that existed, made... it? some fan had made it, hadn't they? Oh, God, yeah. I think probably. that's the story. The, I mean, the thing is, right, now, I've not disliked any of them, and I must admit, I came to this one knowing that I wasn't keen, mm-hmm. but I thought, well, I haven't seen it since probably broadcast, so maybe I'll actually enjoy it. And I must admit, I didn't. But, but <laughs> there were moments, you know, it did have its moments uh, where sort of, you know, there was bit of Red Dwarf showing through despite yeah. itself. I can't remember if I've seen Series 11. I know I've definitely not seen Series 12. So I've actually got some surprises coming. So I'm really, you know, I'm hoping for some fun stuff. And Series 10, I did enjoy. I was actually pleasantly surprised when it came back. So... I'm just going to put this down to an aberration, really. Um, it was nice to see the characters. The characters yeah. were great. The Coronation Street stuff was just a bit too much. The car was bloody awful. And that sort of whole thing in the sci-fi show was, ooh, aren't we clever? Yeah. Know? But um, apart from all that, you know, it was a sort of amuse-bouche to Dave Red Dwarf, <laughs> I suppose, although one that tasted a bit off. <laughs> Oh, of course, guest guest appearance by Chloe Annette talking of. Oh, and that that was the <laughs> genius part of the show. I mean, you know, the the whole production was lit up by Chloe Annette, and I won't have a word said against her. Are we clear? <laughs> I was going to say actually, nothing quite became her like the leaving of the series. You know, I'm afraid it's. I've never really got with the Chloe Annette. Uh, version of, of Kachansky. It's not entirely her fault in that she's very much given this not funny role of the eye-rolling girlfriend, basically, who's basically there to disapprove of the zany antics of the boys. I, I just don't think she has much timing. Uh, she just feels like a bit of a, a drag, I'm afraid to say, on, on the scenes. Anybody who's watched Armstrong and Miller will get the following reference. Kill him. <laughs> yeah, and I will. I can, I, can, I, can, I can feel my heart. Sort of, sort of, well, John you know. nearly gave you a heart attack last time, so maybe yeah, Gareth can finish I'm, you off. I'm, I'm, I'm very shocked at the, these revelations about the wondrous <laughs> Chloe Annette. Which um, distant relative would you like Chloe Annette to be? Is she up there with Matt Smith in Grandfather Territory? Or oh, no. no. Sort I don't of know. Eccentric aunt? Yeah, I... I a sort of young Aunt May, uh, Marissa Tomei right. version of Aunt May. Well, the Red Dwarf but, movie, we can cast Marissa Tomei as... as no, 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 Chloe and it, but I, I <laughs> sort of, I equate her to the sort of Aunt May and Spider-Man, but it's Marissa Tomei version. There we go. 
rather than yeah. who was it in the 80s series probably some old lady <laughs> <laughs> not an old lady oh, well we, we well know your antipathy towards old ladies talking yeah about Jessica Tyne <laughs> Jessica <laughs> Pick a golden girl, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, if it was Betty White, you know, she'll be alive. She'll be the one alive at the end of time. <laughs> that was her outside and listen. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> like, have they finished screening the repeats yet? Let me. <laughs> Betty White's a genius. There's a documentary about you should watch. She's there we go. An amazing, amazing person. <laughs> so we'll we'll watch on into the Dave era. Um, we might do a couple at a time we'll just see how we go but Gareth if you have any thoughts on uh, Dave Red Dwarf you could send us them in we can split them up mm. across whatever podcast we're covering it on I think uh, you haven't seen season 12 Chaz I think and there'll, there'll be one of the episodes I think that without too many spoilers that I think you'll find really interesting mm. um, I won't spoil it too much but it's set on a planet called Solos and actually John Pertwee guest stars in it um, so we'll watch that <laughs> when the time comes and uh, I'll look forward to that it sounds yeah. really interesting I, I think you'll like John sent me a present uh, before he came up last week, you know, to visit, and he sent me a face mask. Now I got this face mask, and it said, "Have you got your oxy mask or something?" And I'm looking at it, going, "What the bloody hell is this?" And I'm texting about four or five people, you know, trying to work out what the hell it is. And nobody, you know, all my friends... Well, if you'd watched the story, you would have known. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I put the sentence into Google and, you know, it only came up with a couple of pictures from the mutants. (laughs) That's some top quality trolling. It would have been the only way I'd have actually gotten... I did say to John, I said, well, it would have been... um, I'd have actually got it if I'd watched the mutants, so I don't know who the joke's (laughs) supposed to be on. But uh, now I have... Now I have mutants merchandise. What can I say? Secret fan. Yeah. Okay. Doctor, those monsters were real. I saw them. We're going to do Monster by Monster, which is uh, our replacement for Doctor by Doctor. We're going to pick a few monsters from the history of the show and just have a quick hot take on them rather than get too bogged down in any detail. But we will um, fire up a list of random numbers so that we can generate a monster from a, a list. This list came from the BBC website. And it actually, it's, it's a bit strange. It misses out the um, sort of named character uh, villains like the Master or Fenric don't feature, but it also includes alien races. So last time we had Rebosians, which threw us a little bit. So not a monster per se, but I think calling it monster by alien by monster would just get a bit too confusing. Um, so let's generate a number. Okay, two hundred and five, and I'm just going to compare that to my list of monsters. The <laughs> okay, that is the Colony Sarf snake creature. So I'm tr- I'm struggling to place that episode. It's oh, is it late from oh, Capaldi? The, the magician's apprentice. Magician's apprentice. You know the um, Davros's mm. representative that okay. turned into snakes. Mm. Do you remember? I think he's a good, fun, imaginative yeah. uh, Muffet character. No uh, memory of it whatsoever. I've only watched those once. Okay, let's do another one. Twenty-seven. This will be right back in time. Quarks. Oh. Definitely the best monster from Doctor Who that's gone on to appear in Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I've got a soft spot for the quarks. I, I quite enjoy them as a sort of uh, evilly giggling yeah. little, like little robot. You don't want you don't want a quark in your soft spot with those spiky heads. <laughs> I like the look of them. I think they're actually. I mean, yeah, they're completely impractical. They're so sixties. They're lovely with the fold-out arms as well. They sort of look rather cool. I yeah. really like them. I would love a model quark actually. That would be a nice I think toy. if you were to bring them back, I think you could do some interesting things with them. Let's do another one. One eight four Kaler Cyborg. That's um, a town called Mercy. Yes. So it's this the, is the sort gunslinger. of gunslinger. Mm. Yeah. And that Pretty was good. a good character actually. Um, mm. It was Ben Bowder, wasn't it, from Farscape? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's in oh, there no. as a sheriff. Oh, he's a sheriff. That's right. Uh, you missed the chance to call him Ben Kingsley as well. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a well-designed monster. I, I would have loved to have had him as an action figure. Yes, I've never liked westerns, so 
hard for me to warm to westerns, but yeah, it's a good story. I'm not a big fan of westerns, but I did enjoy that episode. I mean, again, that's Matt Smith just getting into the whole thing. It's like <laughs> yeah. you said about Robots Sherwood. Having too much it's fun. It's sort of, you know, the way that if that had been <laughs> Matt Smith, he'd have been in tights and had the Robin Hood hat and everything. <laughs> okay, last one is 177. Tesselector Antibodies. So this is, um, let's kill Hitler, isn't it? And these are like mm. robot jellyfish. And they needed their, um, their wristbands and stuff that didn't seem to work very well. They kept to keep I mean, That is a, a not a very safe workplace, if the, if the health and safety <laughs> review there. You can imagine the board days without an incident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, gents. That was Monster by Monster. It's the end. But the moment has been prepared for. Nine times out of ten. It's been absolutely lovely having you with us, Gareth. Thank you very much oh, again. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed this. It's been it's always a always a pleasure to see you both. Thank you. We yeah. should do more. I must admit, it was a, such an honour to be invited onto your your podcast as well. And spoil um, it. And, yeah, and, <laughs> and spoil it, you know. If anybody else wants to invite us onto their podcast, we're, we're available for sort of weddings, bar mitzvahs, you know. Are you trapped in a podcast you'd like to end, but don't know how? <laughs> Well, uh, I must say it is a great podcast. I mean, by the time this this podcast comes out, it will definitely be available. So I can fully recommend if you enjoy listening to these two guys, and if you don't enjoy listening to them, I'm not quite sure how you've made it. This it's probably far. turned off. By yeah. They've so, stayed for you, obviously. Then, Gareth. So <laughs> God, can you imagine we've got our 15 uh, listeners uh, sort of tied to their chairs for about six months. <laughs> uh, an intriguing comment, actually, based on something that. Tim says during very British futures about Kinvig and about his experience of watching it. But I will keep you in suspense about what that was, so I can fully recommend they are both brilliant and funny and insightful on Kinvig. Download it now. There you go. Thank you so much. Give you the money later. I wish I'd given them the money before and had to work it. That's true, yeah. Anyway. Thank you. This has been the Randomizer Podcast episode 17. If you'd like to get in touch or if you've been to Galactic Coordinates 58044,684884, we can be reached at randomizerpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at at randomizerpod. And in both cases, that's randomizer with an S, not a Z. That's on, on Twitter. Twitter. And in both cases, <laughs> was randomized. I'm this. using the one from last time. Not again, a Z. <laughs> I, I literally have one bloody job, and that's it. No, absolutely. It's um, essential. Sorry. All we will hear now is fizzing Pepsi Max for a minute or two. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, my addiction. I, I'm, I'm going to have to cut out something that you said earlier because all that we've got in the background of it is Chaz going talk, 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 and. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like that scene where Chaz was eaten by snakes, you know. Yeah. <laughs>